As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Howdy, everybody. Arthur Staple here. Chris Flannery also on the other side of the dial. Uh, he'll be joining us in a moment. This is the Garden Faithful, your Rangers podcast from The Athletic. Try not to sound too enthusiastic because, man, what we have seen this week, uh, not to be believed, not by us, not by anybody that I talk to in the league, um, really anybody. Chris, you can come on now. Uh, I know you're feeling a little sour <laughs> after these last few games. And we're going to dive into it, you know, pretty much spend a half an hour, you know, not assigning blame, but just sort of figuring out how we got to this point where there was, it was such one-way traffic going into the series. The Rangers were riding high, the Penguins missing their 
just their number one goalie at the time, not not leave alone, let alone their number two goalie. And then here we are back from Pittsburgh. And those were the two, probably the two worst road playoff games of either of our lifetimes that the Rangers have had. I mean, I can't even think of a, even a, a, a season when they got swept maybe back in the eighties by the Penguins or the Flyers, where it was genuinely worse than that and more unexpected than that. So welcome Chris. And where's your head at right now? Yeah. Thank you for having me on, man. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, we're gonna we're gonna kind of break the whole thing down here, and it's 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 not about blame, but after you watch the last, I mean, really the whole parts of the series have been have been awful to watch, but coming off of of last night's absolute, you know, disaster of a game, you 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 have to really analyze this and try to figure out how it's even possible when you look at what the this team did over the course of the regular season, the additions they made at the trade deadline and in the off season, bringing you know, Goudreau and the guys that they brought in, it's like, um, you know, they showed growth. You really felt good going into this series. Didn't mean it was going to be easy, but I think everybody looked at the goaltending situation. It, you looked at the way the Rangers really improved their defense over the last couple of months of the season. The, you know, they, they really looked like a team that could definitely do some damage. It would be a, a very difficult out if they weren't going to advance. And, you know, you've just kind of watched it evaporate over the last, uh, you know, several games. And it's not only concerning, it's, it's like, uh, it's baffling to a certain extent because it's hard to imagine that, that this team that really looked so good and so confident and really played together like a team, you know, you, you could tell that they really enjoy playing with each other. It, It seems like all of that really went out the window the last couple of games and, you know, give credit to the Penguins. They've played well. Sidney Crosby has obviously turned the clock back and he's playing, um, just really inspired hockey. He looks great. He looks like one of the best players in the world, which he is. Um, but it's it's also a lot of what the Rangers are not doing, and that's you know obviously what we're going to talk about here. But it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a bad feeling, and you know lo- just obviously skipping ahead a little bit, looking to to Game Five. That 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 is not only a game that they have to win for the series, obviously, but this is something that I think they need to win just for the future of the organization. It's like, you have to have a little bit of um, a little bit of pushback here because if they don't, it's uh, it's, it's a, it, I think it's going to be an ugly off season if, if they don't, you know, show something in game five. Yeah. And it's funny you say, well, you know, go back to the regular season. You, you just have to go back to last week. You know, they yeah. were, yeah. they were, they, the first 25 minutes of game one was about as good as it, it can get. It was, it would have been hard to sustain, but, and it's not just Ryan Reeves throwing big hits to get the crowd on it's Alexi Lafreniere going around and throwing big hits. It's them whipping the puck around and and that was Casey DeSmith. You know, it feels like it was a hundred years ago when the Penguins had a goalie who's played in the NHL before in their nets. Um they were up two nothing in that in, in that second period and it looked like it looked like how we all thought it was gonna go. And then, you know, that game we can get into that triple overtime game and how that's kind of the ripple effect that that's had. But two nights later, they were right back at it with a five-two win. And I thought Louis Domingue played about as well as he could play in that game two, and he still gave up five. So it it felt like going to Pittsburgh, the Rangers had to continue to do what they needed to do. And um, you want to say it's nerves about being on the road for the first time in the playoffs for a lot of these guys, um, matchups that uh, you know I think. The coaching matchup in this series, Mike Sullivan is is a little bit more widely regarded uh, over the course of his coaching career as being a little bit more of a master tactician than Gerard Gallant. But you are still playing against a minor league goalie 
You're still playing against a Penguins defense that was missing Brian Dumoulin, who's one of their top pair guys. Um, you know, you, you have a lineup that does have Sidney Crosby. Evgeny Malkin has done almost nothing in this series. He looks like he's about he's at about somewhere between 50 and 75% health-wise and, you know, kind of disinterested. And then you've got a bunch of guys like Jeff Carter and Teddy Bluger and Brian Boyle, who's, you know, Brian is a, is a personal favorite of ours on the show and a, and a favorite of a lot of Ranger fans. But these are guys that are in their 30s. And the guys that they have in their 20s, like Evan Rodriguez or Danton Heinen, these are not great players. Um yeah. This is a this is a beatable Penguins team, and even when you even when you factor in the beginning of Game Three when Shesterkin looked really shaky, and the pucks were bouncing off the end boards and bouncing in, and you know Patrick Nemeth was Patrick Nemeth. We'll certainly get to him in a minute, mm-hmm. um, but they still managed to overcome that, and it's a tie game in the third period with with Georgiev playing well in net, and and the game there for the taking, and things could be very different, and they you know they lose essentially lose a one goal game in the middle of a series. It happens, and then boom, uh, last night happens specifically the second period. Last night happens, and you're like, what? Where did where did this team go? Where did where did their where did their fight go? Where did their fortitude go? You know, the inexperience thing I think is so overblown, mostly because. Their most inexperienced guys have been their most consistent. Keandre Miller had a rough night, I think, at times. He's not exempt. But he's been their best defenseman to me by far. Um, Braden Schneider's had a couple of stumbles in these games in Pittsburgh, but he's been fine. And the kid line, which got them going offensively with, with Lafreniere and uh, and Philip Hedel and Capo Caco, I think Caco and Lafreniere have been their two best forwards so far in this series. So the inexperienced trope you know and i understand the penguins are very experienced like you should be able to beat a very experienced team because they're old and they're tired and this is the last gas for these guys you know i know sid is sid and he's gonna try to put the team on his back and he is one of the few guys in the league that can do it but but come on you know you're gonna get beaten by by evan rodriguez you're gonna get beat by a 37 year old jeff carter you're gonna get beat by not putting enough shots on on a guy like Louis Domingue, who even at his best is going to give up four or five a night. It's 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 a real indictment, you know. And and I've seen some some comments on my story about, well, you know, we knew they were, you know, it's kind of excuse making. Like we're not, we weren't supposed to do anything anyway. We're ahead of schedule. I'm like, if the, like you said, if there's no pushback on Wednesday, like, and I, you know, you know who the owner of this team is. You know who the the GM is, and he's fired a lot of people already in just his first year on the job. I wouldn't feel too comfortable if I was anybody who worked for that organization if they go down in flames on Wednesday. No, a hundred percent. And it's wild that you say that. Um, but I had the exact same thought after after last night's game. Just to, and I'll come back to that point. But to your point also about the matchup thing, where Mike Sullivan. Um, is known to be a guy that that is more of a tactician than Gerard Gallant, which is not you know uh, a criticism. It's not, of Gerard, it's not the be all end all of coaching. I fully agree with that. But go ahead. Yeah, no, for sure, absolutely, and, and that's what I was going to say. It's like okay, so you know, Mike Sullivan wants to maybe is more concerned about the matchups. Gerard Gallant is not that type of coach. He rolls four lines. He wants to keep that rotation going. And if Crosby's out there against the kid line or whatever, it's like, maybe that's not the matchup you, you necessarily would, would ask for, but he, he was comfortable with that. And it's not the reason they're losing because Mika Zibanej has been out there plenty against the Crosby line and they've had less answers, I think, than when the kid line was out there <laughs> against them. So, you know, it's like to that. So if like people are thinking that that's some kind of, I, I don't think that that's necessarily why they're losing um, the series, but, but going back to your point, uh, I agree. I mean, if, if, 
it looks like the heart got sucked out of that team last night and they just couldn't regroup. And that, you know, that's something that is intangible. And I don't know what, you know, what you do to fix that. If, if again, they come out in game five and it looks like that, or, you know, as soon as they, maybe they get a lead or maybe they go down early and it looks the same, same way. Like there's quit there, which, which is not a hallmark of this team. This team looked like no matter what it looked like throughout the rest of the regular season, um, no matter what the score was, they didn't quit. This was not a team that quit and they did last night. And, you know, you're right. There's a lot of coaches. Look, Barry Trotz just got fired. He's one of the greatest coaches uh, in the history of the game. He's out there. There's a lot of coaches out there. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, so I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not advocating for that, but the point is well taken. It's like, you know, this was supposed to be a step forward and I think it is a step forward. But when you look at w- what happened last night and potentially what could happen in game five, I don't know. You'd almost rather they, they miss the playoffs than, than go into it and, and get really beaten, like humiliated uh, to an extent. And it's, it's, it's an ugly look. And, and I think, all, you know, anything could happen potentially if they really um, have a bad game five and don't, don't look like the team that they looked like for, for most of the season. It's, it's one thing to lose, but to lose the way that they lost where they were like, eh, that's what it looked like. And uh, that's an ugly look. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. So we'll we'll kind of do this step by step, I think. Um, yeah. The failures of this series, we'll start with Chris Jury, who's the ar- not really the architect because he's inherited a lot of these players, but... But some of the decisions that have kind of had a ripple down, ripple effect to this point were his. And I think the main one you have to look at, there's there's two, I'd say. First is the Patrick Nemeth signing, which I think was kind of reviled pretty much from the minute it was announced that that this is a guy who had been on a very bad team in Detroit, didn't perform well enough on a team that's got no defensemen to get Steve Eiserman to keep him, which should be a red flag. And then the Rangers give him three years. And he's, you know, he's a lovely guy and he's had a real tough year in terms of COVID and, and some illness in his family and a newborn and all this stuff. And, and, you know, personal issues are personal issues and you can't, you can't just discount them, but he has looked really bad, uh, even worse than he did in the regular season in this series, continually exposed too many bad penalties. Um, a lot of a lot of mistakes of coverage. The you know the first goal against in game three, where instead of chasing the guy behind the net, he decided to try to push Igor out of the way and play goalie again, hugging up against the post like he's a soccer defenseman. Like, right. what are you doing? And you know that's one thing, but you know what you had in him when by the time the middle of the season rolled around, and if you're the GM, you say, okay, this guy. He's going to keep going out there because he kills penalties and is a veteran and all that stuff. And we got a very young defense. 
but you got to get someone to back him up going into the playoffs. And instead of going out and getting a left side defenseman who's used to playing the left, who's a lefty, who can do the lefty righty thing, especially with Braden Schneider, he went out and got Justin Braun, which it's turned out to be an okay move. I don't think Braun has been particularly good in the games that he's played in place of Ryan Lindgren, but he's been fine. You know, yeah. Yeah. You, you, that's what you expected out of him. But to not go out and get another defenseman, a left side defenseman, and there were guys available. You know, I think we talked a lot on the show. Even if it's an, a guy like Andy Green, who just knows what he's doing out there, um, you know, Calvin DeHaan, guys that know what they're doing, that are an upgrade from Patrick Nemeth, just to have them available. You know, yeah, just, got just to, eat some minutes, not, right. not get pinned in. Yep. And you've got a situation now where you've got Zach Jones on the taxi squad. You've got Libor Hayek, who's been a healthy scratch for, you know, 75 of these 80 plus games so far this year where he's not ready to step in. Yep. So you've got to keep playing this guy. And I feel like that's something that falls on the general manager that that to me, he made great moves at the deadline. And Justin Braun was a good move. And I feel like especially the game, too, that he came in, he played very well. But, you know, I think nobody escapes unscathed from from the last two games. But I think if you had Braun in there and you had a real another option, an eight, a set, whatever, somebody who's a lefty who you could you could reasonably sit Patrick Nemeth. I mean, they just finished practice not long ago. I wasn't there, but from the reports that were there, Patrick Nemeth and Braden Schneider are going to be the third pair for game five, and that's got to put a smile on the Penguins' faces because they know they can exploit them. So yeah. if we're talking about blame that goes up top, I feel like that's the main one for me with Jury. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, we and you know, it's not like we're we're playing Monday morning quarterback. We talked about it at the deadline when it when it happened that that was a big surprise to bring in a right-handed shot when obviously the the you know the trouble was on um, the left side. Now you know these are all things I guess that can be talked about in the off season. It'll be interesting to you know to maybe get a little more information about you know what what offers were out there what people were asking for left-handed shots but like you said i mean it seemed like there probably was even if it was just a minor upgrade uh there probably was one available you know so you're you're right i agree with you there um uh, we talked about it going into the series we we had mentioned you joked that uh you know i hate patrick i don't hate patrick nemeth but maybe maybe after the series <laughs> I, I don't like him as much as uh, i did before it started but you know l- and obviously the Lindgren injury complicates things, but th- those things are going to happen in the playoffs. That's why you need some right. defensive depth. But, you know, we talked about it. I thought that Braun should have been the guy on the left side with Schneider. Nemeth wouldn't have been in, in game one lineup for me. Obviously, as injuries happen, you know, things things also, they have a ripple effect. Um, I, I To me, and I'll, I'll throw it to you, why why not put Zach Jones in tomorrow night? Well, what's what what's the harm there? You know? I agree. I completely agree. You you know they're they're already getting completely dominated in the defensive zone, especially in front of the net. And if you've got this guy who's six three and two whatever, and they touted him as kind of you know a big nasty guy, yeah. And he is. I mean, he's not alone, but he's not doing any of that. Then what are you doing? Why not get a guy who can move the puck or even you know hot like. I understand that Hayek's confidence has to be shot. And if they asked him to go in right now, he'd do it. But I don't know what you'd get out of him. But, uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, you're down 3-1. You're allowed to be desperate and, and do some things that maybe wouldn't be expected to just sort of go with the status quo and say, I believe in my team. And now we can kind of transition into we moving down the chain, the food chain from the general manager to the coach. Um you know, Gerard Gallant, like we said, he's not an X's and O's guy. Mike Sullivan very much is. And 
it lo- it can always look like you're getting your ass beat in terms of the matchup stuff. Um, but I honestly thought, you know, for the first two periods of game three, when you, when the Rangers don't have that, don't have the, the option of the last change. And really the, the main focus for them was just getting Keandre Miller and Jacob Truba out against Crosby and not worrying about the, the line that was matching up against them. I thought they did pretty well. I yeah, that I was, those were Crosby's two worst periods of the, of the series so far. Um, as it happens, you know, they got beat by, like I said, Evan Rodriguez. So I don't know what you do about that. And then in the third period, it was, you know, it's a, it's a tie game until very late. And then there's, you know, there's a mistake by Nemeth in the corner. There's a mistake by Nemeth coming out of the corner where he, instead of blocking the shot, he, he, he smacks Heinen's stick on the follow through, which changes the tra- trajectory of the shot and fools Georgiev. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, that's going to happen. But I feel like, even if you're not playing the matchup game, your job is motivation. Your job is making sure your guys are ready to play. And that's the thing. The relationship with the players is Gerard Gallant's wheelhouse. That's what all of his previous players have felt like, um, you know, has been his, his biggest strength is his ability to relate to his players, to motivate them, to get them prepared mentally uh, and physically, as opposed to, you know, ready for the chess match. And, and I think that, if you're not an X's and O's guy and you're not a guy who's worried about matchups, at least say you're not worried about matchups, I think sometimes that can be a little freeing to your players where you're not hopping on and off the ice and trying to being more beholden to what the other team is doing. You want to be concerned about what you're doing. And they've, that message is, has been relayed to us and to them all throughout this season, which is why when you see everything completely fall apart in the space of two games and no way to bring it back, uh, you wonder, you know, we're a, we're a year into his tenure, and now you start to think about, huh, this is this maybe was what happened in Florida. Maybe this is what happened in Vegas. That um, somebody above him said, if this guy's supposed to be the master motivator and has a relationship with these players, why isn't he telling them to just go play better, like right. try right. harder? Right. Um, you know, and that's it's a tough spot for a coach. You know, it's only been a year, and that is not a long time and it's and it's a funky mix of veteran guys who love to operate the way that they want to operate and we'll get to them in a minute um and then you've got some young guys who need a little bit a little bit of coaching and discipline and all that stuff so it's not an easy job but you also have to understand that the bar was set with with a 110 point season that that this team even with a goalie that was stealing some wins early in the year that they had start to started to play a certain way uh, they had started to believe in in playing that way and winning games three one and three two, and they threw that playbook out the window pretty friggin' fast in this postseason. That they've you know to give up, throw out the two empty net goals. You're still giving up, uh, you know, what is it, twenty seventeen seventeen goals in four games, twelve goals in two games. Then, yeah, um, it's it, it's the sort of meltdown that you have to be able to come back from, and and whether it's Sending Ryan Reeves out to start pushing somebody and instigate something just to just to show that there's some life there. You know, I hate to I hate to fall back on that old hockey trope, but you see it around the league that there's other teams when they're down and there's been a lot of big gaps in games too, where it's, you know, Edmonton LA, where it's, you know, eight two one way and four nothing the other way. Guys take misconducts at the end of those games just to show that, you know, show that there's some fight left. And there was no fight left in that team in the third period. That was that was a that was the last last period of the preseason type of type of battle level that you saw, um, 
and that can't happen in a pivotal playoff game, even if you're already out of it. No, absolutely. I, it's that's you. You hit the nail right on the head, right? If 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 the strength of the coach is to be able to motivate these guys and 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 you know be a player's coach, you know, and all that entails, um, he lost them somehow last night, you know, and you know who who knows why, and maybe it's not on him, and maybe you can put it completely on the players, and that's fine. But he's the head coach, and and I think that some of that has to fall on him. And you're right; it was also surprising to see. Even just out of frustration, you'd like to see that. Like n- nobody even took a bad penalty as the as the game went along last night. It was just they were just like, well, we'll just go home. Like there was no, there was nothing there, and I, and that is, uh, you know, that's inexcusable. And and I, you know, I I don't know what, I don't know what what you do about that. Um, they're gonna have to figure it out. And you know, you also hope that when you go into a game five, which, you know, we'll get to in the last segment, we have a little more to talk about here. When you get into that game five, you, you got to hope that that team comes out and doesn't uh, overdo it, which I think is is part of what, you know, has gone wrong in these last couple of games. I think guys are trying to do too much. They're getting out of position and they can't, you know, get out of each other's way. But I think, you know, when you look at a game five, you want them to come out and start the way that they did uh, in game one. They played, like you said, they played a pretty perfect uh, first period to kick this whole thing off. And, you know, I don't, I think it's unrealistic to expect that they're going to play exactly that same way uh, going into game five. But you at least hope that the physical play would would show back up because there it was non-existent um, and and right. Not even like, you know, a, a dirty hit on somebody, cross check somebody, do something like get get something going. But there was absolutely none of that. And you, you hope, um, you know, as if I hope as a fan of the team to, to see. Um, life back in there, but if there isn't, there, there, there is a serious problem then. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, so we've we've uh, broken down where some of the responsibility lies for the general manager and the coach, and now we go to the players. And we'll start with Igor Shesterkin, who was announced today as a Vezina finalist. I think finalist is you can you can just put that one in pen that he's going to win the Vezina. Yeah. Um, he might even be a Hart Trophy finalist. Um, I'm not speaking out of school here to say I think I had him third on my Hart Trophy ballot, and they announced wow. the top three or the 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 top three vote getters, the finalists. I don't think he's going to make the cut, but I think he's going to be on a lot of top fives. So, um, you know, we, I've written a ton about him because he's the most important guy in the series. Um, there were some fluky goals in game in the first period of game three when he, when he was pulled after giving up four. Um, there were, Lots of deflections uh, and lots of traffic in the slot uh, among the six that he gave up in the two periods in game four. But that's 10 goals in three periods. You've never seen that from this guy ever no. in his NHL career. Maybe not even in his professional life. Like a, a KHL, give, give up 10 goals in two games. You probably get sent to the, you know, you get sent somewhere because they don't <laughs> give up goals in that, in that league. It's a, right. it's a two, one league. So um, this is uh this is bad and it's, it's not all on him and the team, I, you know, if you're picking, uh, picking your poison about who's been worse, 
I would say the team in front of him has been worse than his play. But oh, his yeah, play, for sure. His, his play has dipped so far from the incredibly high level that he set that it's shocking. And to see him, you know, I think it was the, I think it was the, the uh, Mike Matheson goal, the two, one goal last night mm-hmm. that uh, was, you know, clean face off win by the Penguins uh, comes back to Matheson. He takes the shot. It does deflect bounces right off of Frank Vitrano's stick. But when you see where it goes into the net, not off the post, not, corner and in but like you know just a couple inches inside the post and to see where Shesterkin was set up and how he was kind of sliding like you see a goalie that's moving like that instead of square and set and big like you normally see him where he's able to handle a deflection from anywhere on the ice and that deflection was 40 feet out and it's still like he looked lost like completely lost his net and you're just like you know, you did. I certainly didn't think at the time it was going to be five more in that period, but you certainly had a little bit of thought of like, this is not a confident guy right now. And um, Gallant's going back to him for game five. Makes total sense. This guy's been as good for them as any goal he's been for their, his team. And that's not named Dominic Hasek in the last 35 years of the NHL. So, you know, and he's your guy going forward, most importantly. You're not starting Alexander Georgiev in probably in what could be the last game of his Ranger career. Um, so I totally get it, but, um, is, you know, is it fatigue from the triple overtime game? Is it jitters? Is it some combination of all those things? Or do you think he's just like, there's just too much stuff happening in front of him. That's, you know, where, where guys in black and gold are just standing around him unmolested that he's not confidently looking for pucks or covering them or, or what is it? I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look, he's made, you know, through the first uh, two games, he made 118 saves. I mean, that's an absurd amount. He made 79 in the in the triple overtime game. That's the second most in the history of hockey uh, in the playoffs. So it's like, you know, fatigue, you can't, you cannot rule that out. I mean, it's clear that he, something's not right with him, you know, at this point when he looked perfectly fine over the first, you know, uh, two games. So, and not perfectly fine. He looked great in, in the first two games. So, um, yeah, I mean, fatigue, you can't, you can't, um, discount that. But I also think that there is, there is some, uh, you know, it's a little mental as well. I think there's some jitters there. I think as a fan watching this, I'm disturbed watching the way that they're playing. He as the goalie that's, you know, been there saving them all season, uh, or for big, you know, parts of the season, he's got to be a little disturbed as well. And, and I'm sure that's not, um, you know, good for, for your mentality going into the games. Obviously you're, you might be trying to do too much then. And I think, uh, even in the post game last night, I forget whether it was Steve Valcat or Henrik Lundqvist, but they were saying, um, you know, they've been there before and you can see that he's maybe out a little further. He's off his angle. He's trying to do just a little too much. And I think that that is leading to, like you said, being out of position, um, not being able to react quite as well as he he has. And he's a reaction goalie, you know, I mean, he, he fundamentally he's sound, but he's so quick in net uh, that it, it, you know, makes if he miss, loses a puck or whatever through traffic, he's able to react and, and make the save. And, you know, if you're off your angles a little bit and you're trying to do too much, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to react the same way. Um, even looking at the Crosby goal last night, the, I think it was the first one that, got uh reviewed his pad is in the net you know even before right. the puck is coming it's like you could just see that it's not uh he's in an awkward position there so he wasn't you know even if he makes the save it wasn't going to be a pretty save it was going to be uh you know kind of a desperation one there 
Um, you know, and then the, obviously the floodgates open, but you can just see, you know, there's, there's certainly points where you can, can look and go, wow, this guy does not look, um, he just doesn't look sharp and, and there, you know, there's no other way around it. But like you said, and I agree with you, the team looks worse than he does in goal. And you can obviously make, uh, you know, uh, not excuses, but you can explain away some of the, uh, some of the poor play in goal, um, you know, by other things that have happened in the series, the the team in front of him is is clearly much much more to blame than he is. But make no mistake, he's not playing uh, he's not playing great hockey right now. And we won't go you know player by player, but for for your money of the of the core guys on this team, who's been the most disappointing for you through these four games? Uh um, I, I guess Mika Zibanejad. I mean, it's uh, you know you, we we talked about it going into the series that it was somebody who has elevated himself into probably, you know, a top five center in the league plays two way hockey. He's able to score. He's, he's helped Kreider, you know, get to a, a ridiculous level uh, of goal scoring this season. He's able to defend and kill penalties and all that stuff. And he really hasn't uh, done a ton at five on five. And, and in fact, I think he's gotten run over pretty much by Crosby and, and Gensel and that, that unit uh, as things have gone on. Um, you know, it doesn't mean the other guys in the top six or the, or the core guys have, have played particularly well either. But obviously, you know, Panarin for the turnovers and things that he's done, he's generated some offense. He's He's been out there. He's had some extended offensive zone shifts. Um, you know, Zibanejad just really hasn't done uh, much. And, I and, and you know, I, I don't like saying it, but he's, he's clearly, um, you know, it's hurt. It's hurt the team. You know, they're losing games because he's not, um, you know, playing to the level that, that we've come to expect. And yeah, I, I got to go with Mika Zibanejad there. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I'm going to say, um, I'm going to go with Chris Kreider, actually. Sure. You know, I, I think he's, he's just not, you know, just not looked like himself and that, and I think that comes with, you know, the responsibility that's been, that's been put on that line. Like you said, you know, Zibanejad has had to take a lot of face-offs against Crosby. He's been out against Crosby a lot. I think that's consumed Zibanejad, who's, you know, definitely the best two-way player of the, of the three guys in that line, and it really was him and Kreider. Vitrano, Frank Vitrano had such a bad night; he got dropped down in the fourth line for a little bit last night. Yeah. Um, but Kreider, I expected more from after such a big year and and a year when he produced at it, you know, uh, obviously a record-setting level, especially on the power play. Um, he hasn't been really a force in front of the net on the power play. They've had a couple of you know they they really. 4-4, they had two power plays in the third period in game three that could have turned the tide. There really wasn't a whole lot happening on any of those, and he wasn't drawing enough attention to to free up space for any of the other guys. Uh, and then at 1-1 last night, you know, they had a power play late in the first period after the Penguins had scored a power play goal, and again, it was it was ineffective. And you can't blame Chris Kreider for that, but he's been the engine that's made the power play go because he's either finding loose pucks in front of the net he's drawing enough attention to, to create some space on the wings for either Zibanejad or Panarin. Um, and I feel like he's a leader, you know, the, the, I wrote it, we've been talking about it. He's won all these, uh, in-house awards for leadership and, and, you know, being one of the most dedicated Rangers, the longest tenured guy right now. Um, I expected more from him this, this series. And, uh, and there's a lot of candidates, you know, Panarin has put up some points and had a couple of good moments, but I feel like he gets pushed out of these kinds of games, these last two, a little too easily. Uh, I thought Ryan Storm was real bad last night and that, you know, 
you start to worry about like as we get closer to the end of the season and the end of the series uh is it in his head that this is the end of his time with the rangers um you know that that's obviously going to be a big decision coming and it's now going to come sooner than later if they keep going like this um you know, I thought Andrew Kopp's been pretty good. I Vitrano had the one good game in game two, but, I, you know, he's just not a guy who defends well enough to be out there a lot against Crosby's line. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and we did mention the kid line, and those kids have been have been pretty good, uh, especially Lafreniere and Kako. And the fourth line has been, you know, w- was good physical uh, in the first couple of games and kind of non-existent the last two. Um, and they haven't been out there as much, in fairness. No, but, no. But, and yeah, it's, but they haven't. But, so I think if you're talking about the the main headlining type guys that uh, I thought this would be a chance. And Chris Kreider really has been a playoff player in his career. You know, he was he's like six goals away from being the all-time Ranger goal scorer in the postseason. And it's not just because he showed, you know, he's just been in so many of them. He, he scores goals in the postseason. This is a time yeah. when a guy with his brand of hockey um, tends to step to the front. And it's been, it's been, it just hasn't been there. And I think, I think the onus is on, him and Zabanajad and Panarin and Strom, um, Adam Fox a little bit, who I think has had some good moments, but has been a little too wild at times. Uh, you know, they I think they know that Ryan, Fox certainly seems to know Ryan Lindgren didn't practice today. I don't imagine he's going to miraculously get back in for tomorrow. So this is the group they've got. It's a group that can win, uh, but a lot of them need to need to dig a little deep, look in the mirror, do all the cliches that you need to do, and figure out that. Uh, you got to show some heart, even if this series doesn't go their way. Like we said, tomorrow is uh, is a very important game for a pretty fragile group, and um, if it goes bad in a in a similar way to three and four, um, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a funky couple of weeks uh, in Rangerland. I don't I don't know what's gonna happen because last season when they didn't make the playoffs, Jim Dolan fired guys that he who had worked for him for a long long time. Brought in Chris Jury. Chris Jury fired a lot of other people that had worked at the Garden for a long time and really asserted his place at the top of the food chain. Um, and if this all turns around quickly, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to be anywhere near Jim Dolan's office uh, on Thursday morning if he's if he's reviewing what happened on on tomorrow night. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, even if they lose this series, like I, I'm, I agree with you, tomorrow is a hugely important game for them. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. No, I mean they you know, it's one thing to lose a series um fighting to the end and you hope that that's what happens here and right, I think I think it's going to be a, a a real crisis if they if they go out with a whimper tomorrow night. Um I, I was just going to say just something, you know, that I was thinking about and it's you know, it's really you know, not the biggest factor in the world. Um but you know, this team you've dedicated a lot of money and a lot of years to you know, some of these core guys, Truba, Kreider, Zabanajad, these are guys that are probably going to, you know, I mean, whatever, obviously trades can happen, but the, the money that's been dedicated to them is, is meaningful and that you, you probably want them to finish their careers, you know, as Rangers, Panarin has a lot of years left. Um, to me, like not having a captain is, is, uh, it's a weird indictment because what, why not, you know, like how are none of these guys at this point who you've dedicated, uh, all of this, uh, you know, whatever uh, you've done ded- it, you've, you've dedicated time to them. Why, why, why are none of them capable of wearing the C and, and, you know, if they're not capable, then well, what, who, where, how did that decision, you know, come down? It felt like somebody was going to be named captain at the beginning of the season. And then they went with the, you know, the four or five, whatever assistant captains, which I, I, I don't love personally, but 
um, it just seemed odd to me, you know, that, and like you said, it's sort of an absence of leadership here. The, the Criders, the Zabanajads, the Panarins, these are guys that have to be the ones that are, that are, that take this team to the next level. And when you watch what's happened over the course of the series, the, they really haven't been doing that. Um, it's just odd to me that, that, that nobody has the C on their chest and nobody therefore really seems to be the one that's going to go out and, and kind of lead the way. You did see it, I think, from somebody like Alexi Lafreniere, which is great. You know, that's a that's something you can kind of hang your hat on as you as you look to the future. He has not shrank in, in the moment here, and and he's come out and played physical. He scored some goals. He's set up some goals. Like he's he's been a somebody that you you know a few years down the road you could see as as somebody that would really be a leader on the team, which is good. The problem is the the guys who are the leaders right now aren't doing it, and I I just you know to me I, I don't know. It's sort of an existential thing of like. If none of these guys are capable of being the captain now or acting like the captain, why? You know, what, what's the issue there? That, that's something that's kind of, you know, I've been ruminating on the last uh, couple of, you know, last whatever, 24 hours here. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, thanks as always, Chris, for this. Uh, we did a nice comprehensive breakdown. What a difference a week makes, huh? Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> so, so so crazy. But, yeah, it, it, it happens, man. The playoffs happen fast. That's right. Well, thanks, everybody, to listening to The Garden Faithful. We'll be back next week. Either be breaking down an incredible Rangers rally in the series and previewing a second-round series, or we'll be wrapping up this season and talking about all the work that Chris Jury uh, and the organization has to do now in the wake of what would be a pretty terrible collapse to finish off what had been a pretty great season. So just remember, you can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, and it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash TGF. Chris Flannery, Arthur Staple, and fingers crossed for a big Rangers rally this week. We'll see you next time.